All right. Well, today, you know, we're talking about a subject that uh, we're doing a whole series on mental health and dentistry, which is so important. A lot of people don't talk about it as much as what we probably should. More people are out there dealing with it than what we probably realize. And today I have somebody on here who um, has a lot of experience in, in speaking and writing about this and, and raising awareness. I have uh, Maggie Augustine here, and uh, Maggie is the owner of Happy Tooth up in uh, the Chicagoland uh, area, and but she's also a, a speaker. She's a columnist for Dentistry Today, and we're so happy to have her on. Maggie, thank you for joining us here and uh, hopping on to, to share some insights with us. Thank you, Shane. It's a it's a real honor, and I and I truly enjoy um, bringing awareness and talking about all these things that sometimes we're afraid to even think about. Yeah, this is you know it started this whole series about you know raising awareness on it because we hear about dentists um, and, and dental professionals in general having uh, anxiety, depression, things like that. But anxiety is something that. I personally have dealt with throughout my lifetime. And, uh, you know, I was like, this could be almost like a therapeutic type session to hear from others. Um, and then hopefully those listening will be able to take that away from this too. But before we kind of dive in, I'd love to hear a little bit about your story and how you've kind of become um, this, you know, full-time dentist who's also, you know, addressing the, the mental health side of things and, and dentistry. How did this all come about? How did your story kind of happen? It honestly, it started out with me. I'd written a, a few pieces for dentistry today earlier in my career, but um, it started with me writing an article called Dentistry Made Me Hate People. And it took me many years to write that article. And then finally, when I found someone that was willing to publish it, it was, it was interesting because for me, writing about this is a way for me to process the world that is around me. Um, and it just so happened that when that article was published and then several more after that, people connected to that because those were the things that we were, I was so afraid to say that dentistry made me hate people. And then, in fact, even in that article, I said, dentistry made me hate people for a moment. But the truth was that dentistry made me hate people for many, many years. And even now doing what I do for a living, and I'm, I'm a super introvert, I have to go through the process of removing myself from other people so that my mind can rest, right? And writing about it was one way of me to process it. Um, nowadays, I also speak about it, and I just happen to really in, enjoy that. Uh, I enjoy speaking with the audience and getting them involved and sharing with them, and in turn, having them share with me, um, having that just be a, a collaboration on all of us being honest and healthier about some of the things that we're facing. And then bottom line, in my writing and in my speaking and in everything that I do, I never want anybody to feel as alone as I have through this entire process, having suffered with depression since I was in second grade, and then ultimately that turning into depression and anxiety and all kinds of other things. But. Yeah, and that's what I was going to ask, and you answered it there. But you know, you dealt with this since you were a child. I know, you know, my anxiety started as a child. Although when I was a child, I didn't realize it at the time until later on down the road. I realized, oh, that's what that was. I'm, I'm curious with people that you've talked with um, who also struggle with this, 
is this something that you've kind of seen uh, continually come up as something that people dealt with for years since their childhood? Or is it more so like once they became a professional? I'm just curious what you've kind of heard in your conversations. I think most people, um, they speak about it in, in, in more current terms. It, it's something that has come about as a result of perhaps juggling too many balls in the air. Um, but I think when those people do reflect on the past, depression is fairly easy to diagnose. Although when you are depressed, when, when you're that young, I remember having a lot of those feelings and, and I experienced suicidality a lot when I was a young child. And I'll tell you, I thought that everybody felt that way too. I did not know that it was unique to me or that it was unhealthy. And so I think we go through these motions and then it's not until we start talking about it that we start figuring out and then, you know, looking backwards, you know what, I think I might've been depressed um, in those years in high school or in college or anxiety, um, the same thing. You know, I always remember feeling like this. Um, so I think that there's two of them uh, and it's upon reflection that you figure out that maybe it's something that has been lifelong. Do you feel like it kind of ebbs and flows? Like you go through periods in life where things are great, amazing, and then all of a sudden just one little thing can trigger that you know anxiety. That's what I see with myself. I, one, it's the smallest of things can trigger that to me, and it's it's a hard battle to try to you know, fight that and, and stave that off. So, what what have you experienced personally? Is it always kind of been? just a dull constant or do you have those highs and lows? What's, what's that process been like through you and through your professional life too? Well, you know, when I turned 40, but I, I thought I would have had life figured out. And then there was a time, especially in my early forties that I took tremendous, that I felt tremendous shame for still suffering from dental disease or dental disease, mental disease, because I thought that by the time I turned 40, I would have had everything figured out. At least that's how it was when we were kids looking at parents our age or, you know, people that were of similar age than we are now. And what I discovered in one of the most difficult realizations in my life has been that this is never going to go away. And there are times and there are moments when things are just amazing. Um, and you can feel the joy and you can live the joy and you can live lightly. And in those moments, it, you you really can't take them for granted because at least with my particular circumstance, it it will always come back. Um, it, and, it, and it does and it ebbs and flows. And there are times and for me, especially with the more I put on my plate um, and the less I take off my plate, that's when that anxiety and depression rises for me. And then kind of I'll tweak some things and then I'm able to, you know, bring it down. And of course, medicine and, and things like that also help. And, you know, I've done a lot of coaching, life coaching with Lonnie Grass. Um, I always had a therapist. I've always had a psychiatrist, but a lot of it is also lifestyle, lifestyle and the amount of pressure that we put on ourselves. Um, that, that's been the trigger, at least for me in my life. Yeah. There was something, Maggie, that I was reading as we were preparing for this series, and it was a, a study in 2021, a dentist well-being uh, survey report. And this report said that the percentage of dentists with anxiety tripled 
in 2021 compared to 20 or 2003 uh tripling is that's a lot and i'm curious you know why do you think that is coming from a dentist i'm a dental professional i work in dentistry but i'm not a dentist i'm not chair side and so i'm curious as a clinician what do you think has maybe led to such a huge increase in just a couple of decades and I, and I understand that I might be a clinician and, and you may not be, but I don't think the distinction here matters. I think that whether it's myself as a clinician or my dental assistant, who is also, a, you know, in some form, a clinician or any of my other team members, I think the, the stress and the difficulty might be a little different between us, but really we experience it very similarly. Um, 2021. So, you know, that was right after the pandemic. And certainly I think the pandemic had a lot to do with it. A lot of us rethought our lives and a lot of us felt like with the shutdown of the of our offices, and I, I, I don't think everybody shut down, but most of us did shut down. We kind of went through this turmoil of uh, a crisis of self-identity because we had used our professions to define who we are, right? Um, and as practice owners and, and all of that. But, um, you know, it, it, I'm reading a very interesting book that we also spoke about. I think it's called 21 Lessons in, from the 21st Century. And in there, it kind of talks about um, how technology, I mean, think about where technology was in 2003 and think about when where technology is today, right? Everything is at our fingertips and the amount of information that comes out is just so significant. And I think even if you think about that and how difficult it is to keep up with everything and everyone, right? In 2003, Facebook and social media wasn't what it was. It is now, right? And so there's a constant comparison that happens between all of us. So even if you think about that minute change, how can that not bring you anxiety when you see all these things that other people are doing and you feel like you're you're missing out right like the fomo the fear of missing out um so i think technology has had a lot to do with the amount of our anxiety and again something similar to what we talked about prior to recording this video if you think about where we were 50 years ago or 100 years ago and how our ancestors worried about starvation and worried about the weather and the climate and the conditions and not having shelter. I mean, they, you know, when you think about Maslow's hierarchy, they really focused on that bottom, right? And we are in an entirely different place. And I think sometimes, I don't know about you, but I feel guilty. How can I be so stressed out when I have food, when I have shelter, when I have a loving family? What, what in the world could be causing us that stress? And yet we find ourselves in that position. We do not have any less stress and any less fear than the generations before us. And I think, I think even the author of the book who's done tremendous research in that, I don't know that we know why that is, um, but technology could have a lot to do with it and the idea of comparing ourselves to other people and that being front and center constantly in our lives also has something to do with that. I think that's absolutely true. And and I don't have any data on hand about this, but I know just from me kind of anecdotally, um, I'm, I'm constantly on my phone, that FOMO is part of it, but it's also, it's like, oh, I need to 
you know, send some, you know, a message to this person I forgot about and like, oh my gosh, you know, I forgot to do this. And then you get on the, with like Facebook groups, for example, um, sometimes it's like that keeping up with the Joneses effect, right? Where you see what everybody's doing and you usually only see the great things online and on social media. So we're only comparing our lives to the great things that we see, which gives us this imbalanced kind of view of what reality is. And that's what I've really admired about you and, and why you know, we ultimately reached out to you for this interview is you also have shown the the hardships, right, of of being a practice owner, a mother, a wife, whatever the case is of, of those you know pieces of life there. So, and I think the other thing too, just from what I've noticed in, in dentistry, just because we're, we're in it, is a lot of these groups, um, people can be very judgmental at times, I feel. And I think there's a, a little bit of an intimidation factor there where some people like want to interact with colleagues and, uh, you know, discuss things. But I think there's also kind of a fear of being called out or somebody being called wrong. I, I don't know what... What have you seen in that space as we're kind of talking about the social media? That's one of the first things that comes to mind for me and kind of uh, is triggered, you know, some of the things that I've thought about before. I think when you say that people are judgmental on social media, that's a significant understatement. They are downright cruel. I mean, the, the things that people can say, and, I, and, I've, and I've seen that on my own, on my own private Facebook how are you attacking me? I, I mean, just have some kindness and reflection. And, um, and that's one of the things that I really love about Paul Goodman's group, Dental Nachos, that I, and I'm not very much a part of the other groups that, that I hadn't seen that before, is that he stands up for the people that are getting judged and he, you know, puts them in Facebook jail and, 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 and cuts their ability to communicate for a while when they're being inappropriate. Um, people have gotten so mean. They're such jerks. Um, intimidation. Uh, how, how could you feel safe to be vulnerable in asking a question and in turn, you're getting bullied for it, bullied by adults? I mean, imagine what that kind of adult is teaching their kid. Right. I mean, I remember posting something about, oh, oh, my gosh, um, um, charging credit card fees several years ago. I remember how, this thread. Do you remember that? And I and I said, I think I'm going to start charging people credit card fees. Because they're just so high, you know, on top in the insurance. We're insurance driven. And wow. I mean, it would. It, yeah. The amount of bullying. There was a, a, a group. In, in the town that I practice in, in Elmhurst, and it's Elmhurst Moms. And I, I don't know what I did, but somebody posted something about our office. And then woman after woman came after me, tearing me apart, saying, how could anybody want to work with her? I mean, it, it was horrendous. It was awful. It was one of the worst days of my life. And these were local women that were just like me, moms, and they were tearing me apart. And for what reason? I mean, brave be behind the keyboard, right? But what kind of a reality are we creating for ourselves and for our kids? Just, just tremendous shame. And I know Alan Stern also talks about this a lot, but it, I'm embarrassed to be a part of the culture that makes it possible to bully someone 
who is willing to ask a question and be vulnerable and want to grow and want to be a better person. 100%, especially as something that is subjective as some of this can be. Like they're, you know, if you're you know, designing a, you know, a case or whatever the case is, um, you know, it's a, it's a fairly subject, subjective thing that you can do in many of these cases. But yeah, people come in with their thoughts and I'm hoping, yeah, some of these, you know, good groups where the positivity reigns, um, you know, strong that that starts to eliminate because I know that that all leads into, you know, as professionals, you know, we're dealing with the external things that, that we can't control, right? The, a lot of the insurance, um, you know, reimbursements, the economy, you know, people spending habits, like there's so many things that we're dealing with every single day. We don't need to be bringing ourselves down as a community, as, as a you know, group, we need to be building each other up, which is one thing that we can do and take action on. So hundred percent on that, Maggie, I do want to dive into a little bit about what you have seen work when it comes to, I don't even know if I want to say managing, but you know, managing anxiety, depression. Um, you had mentioned, you know, seeing a therapist and there's, going to be people, people listening to this and there's probably a lot of them aren't seeing a therapist. They're not um, exercising or doing things to potentially help alleviate that. So I would love to learn what are some things that you have found to be helpful um, as a professional to help kind of manage that to the best of your abilities. One thing that's important to understand is I am not a mental health professional, right? So I'm speaking from experience and it kind of sucks that I have to say that, right? Because I don't, I don't want somebody to, to think that I am giving therapeutic experience. I, I'm talking from my, my own experience. So, you know, aside from it, uh, determining whether or not you're actually clinically depressed and seeking the help of a physician, a psychiatrist and a psychologist, there are just a few things that have always worked for me. Um, I hate exercising. I hate it. Uh, I am not good at it, never have been. But um, what I have found and the way that we are genetically uh, designed, unfortunately, ex exercise is an incredibly important part of the equation when it comes to anxiety. Because as those emotions and chemicals build in our body, that cause the anxiety, we have to have a way to drown them out and to release them. And back in the day, if you saw a bear that caused you a lot of anxiety, what happened? You ran, 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 ran away from the bear. You got to the village, everybody celebrated, but you'd release those chemicals. Now, um, when you have a really difficult day, you don't physically run. Um, and I, I go to the couch and just want to be a couch potato. Yeah, you just want to be alone. You want to lay down. You want to put food in your mouth. Um, and so uh, for I don't exercise a lot. In the summer, I ride my bike because I, I love it, or I take my dog for a really long walk. In the winter, um, I use my Peloton and I jump on it for 20 minutes because I, I just can't do longer than that. Also, you know, time restrictions. I try to do it every day, but it doesn't always work out. Um, and I meditate every single day, again, use a Peloton app and there's a meditation part. And so every single day when I get to work and I get to work about two hours before everybody else does, I sit down, I have a, a, a mat and I, and I meditate, um, beyond that, uh, the next most important things, and perhaps it's the most important things is cutting things out. 
you gotta you gotta understand that when you put one thing on your plate, you have got to take something else off to make it work. And if you don't, there's going to be a price to pay. So I do this way, I run, 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 and I add all kinds of things to my plate. Why? Because it makes me feel like I'm relevant, like I'm useful, like I matter, like I'm, I can create a change, like I can make a difference, right? So I just try to be all things to all people until the plate breaks, right? So then, you know, even even today, I, I had a friend reach out to me and say, hey, do you want to hang out? And I'm like, no, I have got to not do anything. I am fried at the edges. I just need peace. So I suppose the, the new buzzword on that is boundaries, right? You have to create boundaries. It's, it's, it's cool to create boundaries, but then you really have to live within them to prevent yeah. yourself from frying at the edges. There's a book that I'm actually reading right now, Maggie. It's a really good one. I don't know if you've um, read it or heard of it, but it's called Who Not How. And um, it's by Dan Sullivan. And this is because you, you were speaking to me directly, I felt, when you were saying this, because I'm a people pleaser. I, you know, I hate telling people no, like from clients to family, you know, it doesn't matter. I try to, you know, say yes to everybody because I don't want to let anybody down. But this Who Not How book really dives into um, saying, okay, if you're wanting to accomplish all of these different things or tasks, whatever it may be, you have to start asking yourself, who can help me accomplish that rather than how can I do that? And so what it does is it allows you to delegate and learn to be able to you know, prioritize your focus. So then that way you're not putting, pulling yourself too thin and then causing all of these issues that, that you just discussed. So I, that's a great one there. I, I also wanted to ask a little bit about on the meditation side. This is something that um, I've been interested in. I have not done it. Um, and I guess one of the questions I would ask is, how did you get started on that path? Was there a particular uh, app or is, you know, what's kind of um, something if somebody's wanting to start maybe meditation, you know, what would you recommend and how has that been beneficial for you since you started doing that? One of my next articles that's coming out um, sometime in the next week or two is called the most important hour of the day. And I spend the entire article almost talking about something similar to that. And some people call it meditation. Others call it prayer. Um, I, I just remember one time sitting down. Um, well, I remember being on vacation. My daughter was four. And I remember laying on the sand, looking at the stars and listening to the ocean. And I remember I went to a place in my head or wherever it was that was so incredibly beautiful and freeing and loving that I never wanted to come back into my, my own body. And that, that didn't last a very long time, but it, it lasted enough for me to feel it with every cell of my being. And then it took me years and years and years to try and get to that place again. And I can't tell you that I've gotten to that place many times, but that was the initial introduction for me of what meditation can do for you. And then I remember having to go to physical therapy very, very early in the morning. And then I would, would come to work, drop off my things and physical therapy was right next door. And I would just sit in the dark and I would close my eyes and I would just feel so much freedom and so much peace. Um, and again, not being a, a people person, I was alone, which, which made a difference. And, um, and I just wanted more of that. And I can't, you know, 
meditation, it's not always closing your eyes and going to that place that I initially described where it's just so freeing and so beautiful and so loving. Um, there are times that you'll close your eyes and all you can do is just watch your thoughts float in front. Because people are like, well, how do you just close your eyes and not think? That's not necessarily what meditation is about. You, you, Your thoughts will enter your mind. And until you get very, very good at meditating, it's extremely hard to get them to move away. Um, but over time, you start to develop that peace and guided meditation. I know there's a lot of different apps out there. I know Calm is one of them. They're guided meditation. And all you have to do for about five minutes or 10 minutes is just try to listen to what the guide is telling you and imagine and move forward with the imagery that they're presenting to you. Um, and I think that's the best way to get started. I'd gone through periods of time where I didn't do guided meditation. I just had a certain kind of sound that I listened to over and over or chant. And now I'm back to guided meditation, but I also do something called float uh, therapy or a deprivation chamber where it's a, it's, I don't, I know a lot of people have heard about it. You float in salt water, that's body temperature. And it's, um, you could have music, you could have lights, or it could be completely closed off. And um, I also find that to be very, very calming and balancing. However, you can't always expect to go in there for an hour and meditate for an hour. There's been days that I've got in there for 10 minutes and left. So I think the bottom line is, is if you're going to start meditating or if you're going to choose that as a type of therapy for yourself, please know that it's not always going to be what everybody else talks about. Sometimes those moments are rare, but doing it over and over brings them to a higher frequency of them happening, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the float tank, that's something I've also wanted to try that. And I've heard uh, somebody who I knew did it and it was the one where they didn't have music or anything. It was just silence. They yeah. said that it wasn't very long that they could like yeah. stay in there. They said you will literally, it's, it's a wild experience. That's the way I, it was put to me. It was, it's, it's different when it's silent, completely dark, you're just floating. Um, but that's an interesting way to, I didn't think about that of trying to, um, you know, alleviate that a little bit. And when you start float therapy, you want to start with the lights and the music on because sometimes your mind cannot, you know, we go so fast and so hard and we're constantly with screens and in the blue light. When you go in and you deprive yourself of everything, sometimes your mind cannot handle that and you will have the opposite direct reaction of having a panic attack. So yeah. you've got, however you do it, like I still do it with the music on. I can't, I'm not at a point yet where I can turn the music off every time, um, but I do have the lights off, which is, again, it's so bizarre because you open your eyes and it's just as dark as if you had them closed. It's, it's truly a deprivation. Wow. It, it reminds me of with you in Chicago. I don't know if you follow NFL or if you're like a Bears fan or anything like that, but uh, the Green Bay Packers quarterback, well, former quarterback, I don't think he may not be playing there this year, but Aaron Rodgers he just did a thing like after the season where he went, um, I, I can't remember where it was, but basically lived in a cave with no light, no sound for three days. And I'm like, how could you do that? And he was saying like, it was this like awakening type mo you know, moment for him where he did it to kind of get clarity on the next direction in his life. And it's, 
It's amazing though. My point is, it's amazing to see, you know, what the human brain is capable of and, you know, trying to slow down this, this engine that we have in inside of us um, can be a, quite a challenge. One is we're kind of like starting to come to an end here. You know, Maggie, one of the things that people may say is you know, after a, a stressful day, you know, at the office, long day, you know, nothing went right, had pain in the pain in the butt patients, you know, all of these things that go wrong. What would maybe be just a couple of things that you would recommend for, for those clinicians or dental professionals that, you know, just had a killer day, you know, and, and need to somehow try to, you know, get, feel better about themselves before the end of the night. Is there any, you know, things you recommend exercises or anything like that? Um, you know, sometimes you just want to sit down on the couch, like we said, and eat ice cream. Um, and that's, that's exactly what you think that your body needs and, and your soul needs. And sometimes that's not the right answer. Um, for me, you know, I have an incredibly wonderful relationship with my husband, who's my best friend. So when I come home and I have a difficult day, he carries me through that being able to sometimes it's about being silent. And, you know, if you're an introvert, you got to regain your energy and your and, and your center and, and kind of go. I actually right next to me here, I have a, um, a, a prayer closet, a meditation closet that I just took everything out of the closet, painted it and sometimes put myself in there. I call it also the crying closet. Oh my gosh. Can I go on about crying? Crying is such an incredible technique that we as humans have to release emotion and it's looked upon with so much shame, even by even knowing myself, the therapeutic um, value of it. I, I feel tremendous shame in crying, but crying is and it's easier to do for women than men because of historically our gender roles and things like that. But crying is an incredibly powerful way to release emotions. Um, talking to a friend. Uh, being able to be open and vulnerable. Yeah. And maybe it's not on a Facebook group, right? Where you could be bullied and, and, and I don't know where your vulnerability and your shame are turned against you. Um, yes, exercise, but sometimes you really don't have anything in you. Everybody knows ultimately what works for them. It's sometimes it's seeing your kids, especially when they're young kids. Oh my gosh, when they're two and three years old and having them just throw them themselves at you and at your face and cuddling with them. Sometimes it's your pet who might be the only excited uh, <laughs> a creature in your home that, um, that, that just wants to jump up and down when, when you get home. But those are some of the things that, that I do go for me going for a walk with my dog or with my dog and my husband, when it's nice outside, that can really rebalance me. Sometimes it's laying in bed watching TV that can rebalance me. And that's what I'm going to do tonight. I need that. I know I need that. So for a lot of us, we kind of know what works. You just have to give yourself two things. One, grace. Well, three things. Grace, forgiveness, and permission to do what it is that you need to do to rebalance the energy that was just taken away by that kind of day. Oh, yep. That's, that's powerful. And 
you had mentioned about like the animals and the you know, kids. It's like, that's me right now. I have a 14 month old daughter and, you know, after a hard day in, in the office, you know, I come out and I'm like, oh, gosh, I got to try to put on, you know, my, my happy face and all this. But then right when she comes out, dad, dad, you know, it's just like, oh, like what was bothering me? Like you don't even, it's just like a natural therapeutic. It is, and animals the same way. My dog's been like that for me for, for years, you know, and, and I totally agree. So this is a, this is an announcement. Everybody needs a dog or a cat or something. That's, that's my belief. So <laughs> if you don't want to have another child or have a child at all, that's uh get a dog or a cat. It helps. Uh, no, this, this was fantastic, Maggie. So, you know, as we kind of wrap it up here, I, I think there's so much value that people can take from this and, and I'm really excited to share this and hope if it helps one person out there, you know, this, this is all worth it. But for, for those who maybe want to talk to you and they took something away from this, they're like, you know, I would really love to reach out with her and just kind of you know, talk with her. Um, what are some ways that people can get in contact with you and, and also follow your, your work? Because I know you do a lot of, of columns. Thank you. So um, the easiest way to get a hold of me is probably through searching me on Facebook, uh, Maggie Augustine, Facebook, you'll, you'll find me. I'm fairly easy to reach out that way. You can go to our uh, website at the office, myhappytooth.com. You can find my information that way. My email is on there, which is uh, Dr. Maggie at myhappytooth.com, which is D-R-M-A-G-G-I-E at myhappytooth.com. Um, and I would release my, my cell phone number and any, you're always more than welcome to call me, but I've been getting so much spam and I've had this number since 1997 <laughs> that, um, but if, but if you do reach out to me by either by, by email or Facebook, um, I, I, I always share my cell phone number and then we end up talking on the phone and sometimes on zoom and it's truly an honor. And one of the, one of the best things that happens to me is when I have an opportunity to speak with someone that is in our shoes and give them hope that wherever they're at in this moment is not going to last a lifetime. Um, so I welcome anybody and everybody to try and get a hold of me and 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 I am more than happy to to talk to anybody. I'm not a life coach, I'm not a mental health professional. I don't charge for any of this. I just want people to never feel alone. Awesome. No, thank you so much for joining me here, Maggie. It's been a pleasure, you know, picking your brain. I, I know I've picked up on several things here that I'm going to try doing, and I appreciate you sharing that with me, with my audience. And um, we look forward to maybe bringing you back on here another time and, and continuing the conversation. So thank you for being on here. Thank you. Would love nothing more. Thank you. <laughs>